0: Have you ever read a book and thought to yourself, I could explain this to someone else, but maybe there's a few things that I want explained back to me. I'll be sitting down with authors, thought leaders, visionaries. I'm your host, Josh Lipstone. This is Explain This Book to Me. Welcome 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 my name is Josh Lipstone and this is explain this book to me today is book two episode six which will be the final episode of the book and I am joined today by the author of the book the extra two minutes David Cruthers. how are you feeling with this being the last episode.
1: Well, Josh, I'm going to be honest with you. It's kind of a bittersweet ending for me. Uh, you know, I'm about 15 days into my whole 30. So I'm a little emotionally spent already as a result mm-hmm. of depriving my body of toxins that help me feel good about myself. And knowing that we're not going to have these, you know, meetings a couple of times a week to talk about the book. I, I'm going to have to go write another book. I mean, I
0: think the, you do I the think-
1: only thing I can do.
0: Yes. Yes. And we will talk about that at the end. That's exciting.
1: I will write it in such a way that you have to ask questions to get the good stuff.
0: (laughs) There you go. Well, then I already have uh, you booked in the future. So I'm looking forward to that. So
1: I will tell you this in all seriousness is Mm -hmm. lots, lots of positive feedback. Um, I've had several people reach out to me from just hearing the podcast. Great, And talked about how much they enjoyed the way that the book's been explained and the questions that you ask and things we get into. So that's been fun, man. I I really appreciate the opportunity to be on.
0: Well, I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. Now for you, loyal readers, if this is the first time that you are hearing this, then please go back, download the first five episodes, listen to them, then come back and hear the conclusion. And for those of you keeping score at home, we are recording this on Friday, August 14th, 2020. So, David, before we get into explaining the book, I want to know something. What has writing this book meant to you?
2: Um,
1: You know, it's interesting. I think I underestimated the reach that you have on people and your ability to influence people with changing the way they run their business or they approach sales or whatever else. And um, I would just give this advice to anybody out there. If you ever read something, whether it be a blog post or a book, or you watch a video on YouTube of content that somebody's put out, reach out to them, you know, reach out to them and let them know what they've told you that has changed what you've done, what um, has meant something to you. Because that means a lot to the person who put their effort into sharing their story with you. The other thing I would tell you is leave reviews, like go to Amazon. If you buy the book on Amazon from somebody and leave reviews, because that also is sort of the validation of what you've done. It, it gives you a way to recognize um, that person in a public forum. And it also helps the book get visibility as well, based on on the reviews that are left. And I mean, for me, that's the one thing. I'm not the kind of person that goes out and asks for it. Even though our industry teaches us that we should be constantly getting reviews, I don't like doing that. Um, you know, I, I think that in my opinion, if the if the book has made enough of an impact on people, they'll take the time to go do that. What I'm finding is that they'll send emails or shoot texts or instant messages or whatever, but very rarely do they actually go over to Amazon and leave a review. And, you know, that I would really appreciate that i know and i'm sure everybody else would too
0: so loyal readers i'm asking you to take just a few minutes to go on to amazon if you haven't already ordered the book go ahead and order it and then leave a review for david after reading it or if you've already purchased it go ahead and leave a review for him and one thing that you said in there resonated with with me which was reaching out to the person that had an impact whether it's you at writing this book or a blog post or a video and the whole reason that I'm even doing this podcast is because of a brief conversation that I had with Jason Cast before him and I knew each other. When he first started his podcast I listened to it and we ended up at the same conference and I saw him I just went up and said hi to him and thanked him for doing the podcast and then Fast forward six plus years later, and now I'm doing a podcast on his network feed. So you, it not only impacts the person that you know you're learning from, but it can impact you in a a great way.
1: Well, and I would, I can't obviously speak for every single person out there that's ever written a book, but I'm approachable. You know, I mean, I'm really generous with my time. So I like helping people. I like knowing that advice that I give them helps them win. And so for me, it's not a big deal. Maybe, maybe not everybody's that way, but um, you know, I would just encourage it. If there's if there's something you want follow up on, if you need even more of the book explained to you, then feel free to to reach out. But I would just encourage that because I, I do think that it makes an impact on the people that are that are putting themselves out there. Look, I can tell you this, Josh. Mm-hmm. I have never in my life felt more vulnerable than writing a book and then just putting it out there to the general public. Wow. Like, I don't know. I don't know that any, you could do any, I mean, aside from undressing and just walking out into the parking lot and standing as cars go by, you know, I don't know of any time where you would maybe feel More vulnerable or insecure than when you put your life's work and your thoughts on paper and distribute it to complete strangers and hope it's received with the intention that you had when you wrote it.
0: Now this is making me contemplate: Do I want to write a book in the future?
1: No, I mean it's a wild ride, man. I I I think everybody should. It's a good exercise for me. It's therapeutic. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a lot going on at our house all the time with the kids and everything, and so. For me, it, it was good just to sort of sequester on a regular basis and be able to, to work on it. It was nowhere near as much work as what you might think that it was. Maybe that's because I'm some sort of an idiot savant when it comes to putting content together. I just was really surprised that I was able to bang it out in a relatively um, reasonable period of time compared to what I was expecting. <sighs>
0: But I'm sure, I mean, I've heard people that, you know, write books, you know, for the first time or for a living. I mean, they set a goal. It's like each day I'm going to write, you know, X number of pages or X number of words. And they can't do it. You can't.
1: You you can't do that. I mean, maybe some people, maybe some people can. I'm one of those people where I can't just put something on the schedule that requires some level of creativity and and thought into it and say, okay, I'm forcing you brain at eight o'clock tomorrow morning, you're going to sit down and do this for a solid hour and you can't get up until you've done that. It would be miserable. I tend to be more streaky. So for me, it's like, I would start at like nine o'clock at night when the kids were in bed and start. And if I got into a groove, it might be two o'clock in the morning and I'm still going at it, you know, but it was not um, one of those deals where it was scheduled and you just do it as you go. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, very good. Well, two quick questions before we get into the book or two more questions are, if you could go back to when you were writing it, what would you have done differently? And then what would you keep the same for writing the book?
1: Um, you know, I think that probably, one of the most difficult things for me, it's a weird phenomenon. I don't know if a phenomenon's a good word or not, but sometimes I have ideas when I'm driving down the road. And -hmm. then by the time it's time for me to get that idea on paper, I'm out. Like I've completely lost it, forgotten it, whatever else. So I think, you know, one thing that I did that was really, really good was I, I built the framework for it first. So I figured out here's, Sort of the process. These are all the high points, the bullet points. These are the extra two minutes segments. I had a complete outline for what all of that stuff was going to be before I ever actually filled it in with the content. If it, you know, when I do the next one, I'll probably do a little bit more dictation uh, into my phone or whatever, so that I don't forget specific ideas or stories or things that I want to make sure that I include and you know also knowing what i know now i wasn't aware that rev even existed back then so i can then take that dictation and send it to rev and they can put it in writing if i do my dictation in such a way that it would turn into a normal flow of a of a chapter of a book so okay. i wouldn't dictate my entire book obviously but i think that there are passages of things that i could probably knock out an hour to 2 hours worth of work if i'm on the road Mm-hmm. Just dictating, then having that thing transcribed, sent back to me, and then I can move it around however I want.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that makes sense. And then any advice for any of the loyal readers who would be contemplating writing a book? What What advice could you give to them?
1: Whatever the topic is, make sure it's something that you're passionate about. Make sure that uh, you you love what you're talking about because that will come through um, in the in the writing and the reading
0: of the book. All right. Well, very good. Well, I think that leads us into the next chapter, which is chapter 12. The section is called closing the deal. So chapter 12 is the meeting. So this is what the previous 11 chapters have prepared us for, which is this meeting. The first thing that you write about is that when a person gets to the meeting, generally they talk too much. They word vomit all over the prospect and end up making a mess of things, pun intended. So the first thing that the salesperson needs to think about or or to do is to thank the prospect for meeting with them, acknowledge how valuable that the prospect's time is, and how you won't abuse their generosity. So once that is out of the way, you write that the salesperson begins to build rapport and to have zero business talk in the first few minutes. You ask about their families, hobbies, et cetera. And this is all based on the social media research that the salesperson has done in the previous chapter, which is chapter 11, preparing for the appointment. So once the rapport has been established, you get down to business by summarizing why you're meeting. You talk about the journey with them to this point, explain how you prospect, why they're a good prospect for your agency, and why your agency is the right solution for them. And then finally, you need to reference the meeting agenda and thank them for their input. You write that that you inform the prospect that the agenda is not set in stone and that they're in control and that the salesperson's job is basically to guide the conversation. So the part that intrigued me the most um, is after the rapport has been established and how you frame that conversation moving forward. So can you let the loyal readers into the world of David Cruthers for a moment and give us an example of how or what you would say to the prospect in discussing the journey, how you prospect, why they're a good fit, and or why you're a good fit and why they're a good fit. And yes, I'm putting you on the spot once again to watch you shine bright like a diamond.
1: There we go. So um, you know this just because we know each other and you know mm-hmm. my process at this point. But most, I mean, we don't go into these meetings blind, not even close. Mm-hmm. And so be, my it all goes back to what we talk about at the very beginning of the book, you have to identify your ideal prospect, right? You have to know who those prospects are that you're going to be able to go out and make the biggest impact on and have the best opportunity to drive change in their organizations. And so that's really the story that I tell when I go in and say, look, you know, I just want to let you know, I don't work with every company. I only work with a specific kind of company. So it's not an accident that you and I met. I was targeting you because of, and then I walk through the criteria of why. Now, if I'm in a residential service contractor, I'll, I'll let them know I represent 40 to 50% of your competition in the marketplace. And I do very well with companies similar to yours. Specifically, I want companies that are 25 or more vehicles, 40 or more employees, 5 million or more a year in sales, with an experience mod factor of 1.0 or higher. That are HVAC, plumbing, or electricians. That's it. And if you fit that criteria, I know there's a better than average chance that I am going to be able to help you. So that all translates into that first meeting of how I got there. Um, but what I do, what I spend the first little bit doing is what you just mentioned.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No, no business talk, right? The the number one of the best success stories I ever had was a client, and I don't believe we've talked about it on this uh, on this podcast, but. I have a client who was going through some zoning issues, right? And I knew that. And if if we did, then I'm not going to waste the story. But that's a great example of how I build rapport when I go into a meeting for 20 or 25 minutes. I just let this guy have a sounding board. If you do your research and you find the hot buttons and you know what's going to motivate somebody and then you go into that meeting and it's more about you learning about them than it is them hearing you just spew out everything you possibly can in a limited amount of time about your business, you're going to gain their respect and their trust much quicker. My ultimate goal is to demonstrate that I know about them through asking questions that require them to give me answers to help me know them at an even deeper level. As you go through that process, it takes practice. It takes, you know, you have to experience that to do it. Your first few times of getting in front of somebody probably, you know, going to look a little bit like Tommy boy, you know, for the first couple of weeks on the road. Right. But as you get that honed in, you become much more adept at asking those questions that build rapport with the person, because that's at the end of the day, that's what it's about. You have to have a connection with that person. That person is going to do business with you. Their company is going to do business with your company, but that person is doing business with you as a
0: person. Well, there you have it, folks. David led us into his world and actually gave us something tangible that you can take into that next meeting, that first meeting that you have, and be able to close the deal. So good stuff, good stuff. So moving along in the book, you first remind the salesperson that this meeting is a pure blend of art and skill, and this is a job interview. And this is where you pull out the bullet points to make sure that you stay on track and discipline. And the salesperson wants to ask open-ended questions and never, ever ask the question, do you understand? And if the answer is one that actually didn't answer the question, you can acknowledge it, state that it was a good point, and then rephrase your question to get a better answer. So you write that for the first half of the meeting, you should leave your product and service out of the discussion. The salesperson wants to use that time for fact-finding purposes and then an astute buyer will know that you know what you're talking about simply based on the questions that you're asking. You then provide a friendly reminder to the salesperson from the beginning of the book in the equipping for battle section to make sure that you have a pen to write with and if you don't, you've lost. So when that salesperson is taking notes, you're recommending highlight, Uh, highlighting parts that you perceive to be pain points, and then remind us that even with all the research that you've done ahead of time, you're always going to learn something new. So once the timing feels right, you move towards the close by reiterating what they told you and that you understand what they said. And your recommendation is to apply empathy in the situation with a comment like this, and this comes directly out of the book. I understand how frustrating it can be to need your IT solutions to work all the time. It is terrible when we can't get our provider on the phone to troubleshoot with us. So let me ask you this, David. At this point in the conversation with the prospect, you're preparing to move into the solution phase. Do you ever get to this point and you realize that this prospect is not a good fit for you and your agency? And how do you pivot the conversation to not move forward? Or would it be premature at this point to do that?
1: Yeah, I think it would be a little bit premature at this point to do that. Okay.
0: okay. All right. So the next step is to offer a solution to their problem because as you began the conversation, you aren't there to sell them a product but to provide a solution to their problem. And you do this by reviewing your notes, seeing how they answered your open-ended questions, and then ask them a question to reveal how they'll solve the problem. But in actuality, you're asking about their current representation, their current agent. So here's a type of question you would ask a prospect to plant doubt in their mind about their current agent. When your agent came out to review your preliminary experience mod with you several months ago, what suggestions were you given that would improve your situation going forward? And you write that this question uh, is not asked by 90% of the agents. And to be honest, I didn't even know this was a question to ask them. Um, So you continue with these type of questions, and your goal is to get them to agree with you. You're setting them up for the next step, which is to fire their competition. And at this point, this is where you go in for the kill with these two questions.
1: I do think real quick, though, Josh, it's important to understand this this doesn't have to be specific to insurance. Okay. Um, You know, obviously that's what I do for a living. That's not what I've always done. You know, I was Jurassic boy for a while, pimping satellite dishes with bubbling water on the table and all of the other things we've talked about. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, if you're an office supply salesperson, you could go in and talk to that person and use the same strategy. Hey, when your current provider came in and analyzed your paper cost versus what you could save if you were to do this, do X, Y, or Z, what did that conversation sound like? You know, if you're an IT person, you know, when you're, um, you know, I've got a really good friend of mine, for example, Scott Bean. He was on my podcast. He and I think very similarly about the treat technology as a team member concept. Scott's whole deal is when he goes in, is do you know how much it costs for you to run your technology on a yearly, monthly, and daily basis? What's the cost of that? technology. And it's open-ended questions that you as a business owner should know the answers to, but typically don't because your current service provider isn't
2: going to that level of detail. So are you looking for an insurance community to join? Have you heard of the LAAIA, The Latin American Association for Insurance Agents is just not for Latins. Their focus on diversity and inclusion over the last few years has made this 54-year-old association one of the fastest growing and the most dynamic associations in the industry. With established chapters in Florida, Houston, Dallas, Atlanta, and Denver, it's no surprise this association has the attention of everyone in this industry. Their upcoming national convention on beautiful Marco Island includes keynote speaker Tricia Griffith, the CEO of Progressive. National leaders from around the country like Marshberry, Vertifor, Lula, and more will be here on center stage as well. And whether you're an independent agent, a captive agent, life or health agency, or even a financial services professional, this association offers you everything you need to network and grow your business. Make sure you check them out and consider joining me, Jason Cass, at the next upcoming convention. It's going to be August 21st, the 24th at the JW Marriott on stunning Marco Island. This has been cast Approved. If people
1: are listening to this that are in other sales roles, or maybe they're in personal lines or, you know, whatever else, just think about how you would ask those questions that could drive the wedge because they are there. Like 100% of the time. And the other thing I would tell you is when you ask those questions, don't make them product focused. Make them problem focused. The experience mod is not a product. It's not something that I sell. It's not something that I make commission off of. Claims are not something that I sell. They're not something that I make commission off of. I don't want to ask people the insurance-related question because there's too many things that can get sideways when you get into that because they're automatically associating that with having to physically purchase something or prematurely make the decision to do business with you. You're not at that point of this conversation. You're setting yourself up to get there, but you're not there yet. So when you ask the question, what you're doing is you're creating doubt, number one, by asking them a question about something that you would have done for them if you were their agent or you were their representative for whatever it is that you're selling, and you let them come to the conclusion that, hey, wait a minute, what are you talking about? I didn't have that. And then all of a sudden the wedge is driven. But if you go in and say, hey, when um when you went through renewal last year and your agent sold you your workers comp, you're you're out. I mean, it yeah. just you you've now reverted back to being a salesperson as opposed to a trusted advisor, which, is the ironic thing in the sales game. That's what we all want to be. Even though we're salespeople, we want to be called trusted advisors. And there's there's an art and a science to doing that. And it, it, it and I, I talk about it all the time. It's not just art. It's not just skill. It's both.
0: Yeah, that's why. Yeah, in the beginning of this chapter, you'd say it's a pure blend of art and skill. Exactly, exactly. So getting back to... The two questions when you're getting ready to set up to have them fire their their your competition their current agent so the two questions that you ask that you put in the book is number one is it safe to say that you are not happy with your current results and number two is is it safe to say that i have shown you some ways that my firm can easily assist you with these problems. And one of the key words or one of the key words, a uh, key word in both those questions is the word safe. And to me, this gets back to how you use risk management um, rather than insurance. So I know that you're big on psychology and verbiage. Did you purposely use the word safe in the book or is it just something that comes natural and and that's just how you would frame it?
1: I'm gonna say this sarcastically, but it's actually the honest to goodness truth. There is nothing that's an accident when I'm in a meeting with a prospect.
0: Okay. nothing. Okay. Was so yeah, it was it was intentionally yeah. that I used Okay. That. All right. Well, I'm glad that I picked up on that. All right. So the final step is preparing the client to fire their current representation. And this is actually a section that I struggled with grasping how it's done. So maybe we could, if you wouldn't mind, do a little role play as part of this so that the loyal readers can understand how this is done. So I'll kind of give you a a minute to prepare and I'll provide the highlights about the process that you write about in the book.
1: Yeah. You know, I th- I do want to s- cover one thing. I realize sure. this is your podcast, but I'm going to hijack it for a second. Okay. Um, all right. I, I do think that it's important that people understand the three-step questioning process to get to this point. Right. Okay. And I've, I've put content out on this on a number of, of different platforms, but there's a stair step to get them to the point where they're ready to psychologically make the decision. So using um, the experience mod example, I have three questions that I typically ask. The first one is when your current um agent came out and talked to you about your preliminary experience mod, how did that conversation go? Okay? I want I they the agent didn't do it. Okay? I know the agent didn't do it. 99% of the time they didn't do it and I actually put out a video where I said and quite frankly most of you guys don't even know what the preliminary mod is. So, you know, that's number 1. Number 2 is um now you go in and you ask them So when they came out and talked to you about your preliminary mod and did your mid-year claims review, what actionable steps did you guys agree upon to help keep this problem from getting worse than it is and begin to improve it? And again, it's going to be crickets. And then my third comment is something. And so I I created the first wedge, second wedge, then the third one is going to be also a wedge to them psychologically, but then I'm going to affirm to them that we have the solution to the problem that we just created. And I would ask something along the lines of listen, you know, out of curiosity, when you went through that process, I'm assuming that your agent gave you a report that will give you the frequency and severity, top loss drivers, in addition to being able to attribute different points of your experience mod to specific claims, employees body parts, injury types, locations, all of that stuff, because I know that's when our clients are really thankful that they have engaged with us because we give them that information that helps them fix it. So I'm not asking them to buy from me. I'm not selling them anything. Well, I am selling them something, but you know, I'm right. creating the doubt, creating the doubt. Then I'm going to drive one more wedge and I'm going to show them through a sort of backhanded way that if they were already doing business with me, this is what they should have expected.
0: That's good stuff. That's yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. So is that the the no, no, yes, or is that a different thing than the no? That's no, not
1: yes. really a no, no, yes, but it's okay. more along the lines of, you, you know, I, I think that people tend to make the mistake of talking bad about their competition. Mm-hmm. You can paint your competition in a negative light without having to say bad things about them like, oh, my gosh, your agent dropped the ball or holy cow, this coverage is written terribly. You don't have to do those things. You actually make yourself look worse when you do that. But if you can go in and know that there's a problem, if I know somebody has a high mod and they've had it for a couple of years, I know that the agent isn't going in and doing a preliminary mod analysis. I know that they're not having the mid-year claims reviews. If they were doing those things, the company wouldn't be in that position. So, I want to ask the questions in a way that they feel like they should be getting something, even though they're not, right. they can come to that conclusion on their own.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. Are you done hijacking?
1: I'm done. It's back. To you. It's all yours again. Man. All right. you, can have the, you can have the driver's seat.
0: There we go. There we go. All right. So getting back to it, doing this role play, but to give the, loyal readers an idea so the first thing that you write about is you prepare the client to fire the competition because you don't want to receive a phone call a couple days later telling you that they've changed their mind so you prepare the client for the type of responses that they may receive from their current representation you know will they be looking for sympathy are they going to be guilted or is the you know client can be or the uh, representation playing hardball or kind of a combination of all those things and you write that you want them to be confident what they make the call or send the email so would you mind kind of playing yourself i'll play the part of the prospect in how this kind of all works for you
1: yeah absolutely as long as you're going to be a prospect that is cooperative with me
0: i'll 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 be pretty cooperative. I know how
1: you operate, man. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So typically, you know, what you want to do is you want to teach the person to fire your competition. So it would be something as simple as, Josh, you know, obviously we spent the last 45 minutes to an hour talking about the different situations you have going on inside your company. And I think we can both agree that the solutions that I've laid out for my firm have the ability to help you and get you back on track to where you need to be and and put some money on your bottom line. Is it fair for me to assume that?
0: Yeah, yes, I would say so.
1: And would you agree that based on the conversation and the solutions that we've provided, that it would make sense for you to take the next step and engage with my firm to represent you going forward?
0: Yeah, I would say that. That's correct.
1: So my biggest concern, Josh, when I get to this situation is I want to make sure that the guy that's sitting in your chair has the ability to go in and terminate the relationship with the existing provider. I know from research that you've had this agent now, and you even mentioned it in conversation for six or seven years now, and you've probably got a relationship there and that's going to be tough. Uh, but in order for me to do the things that we need to do, you're going to have to let them go. And in order, the best way to do that is to be proactive about it. The last thing I want to see have happen, Josh is for us to have a good meeting like this, agree that everything makes sense to move forward and you give me your word that we're going to move forward and then somehow after the fact, you have a conversation with your existing agent and you decide you're going to change your mind because I think we can both agree that after six or seven years, the habits aren't going to change. They might be able to change your mind, but the results are never going to be any different because if they were, you would have already had solutions like what we've talked about today laid on the table. Can we agree on that?
0: We can. Yeah. I mean, it, it'll be difficult for me to do. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would agree moving forward. Be good.
1: It's never an easy conversation to have. And having done this, as long as I have, I understand kind of what the conversation needs to look like from your side. And I also understand what's going to happen when you have that conversation. So, I've taken the liberty of preparing some bullet points and a sample breakup letter that is used if you'd prefer to do it over email that I can that I can give you and you can use if you'd like that or you can do your own thing. But the last thing that I want to see happen is I want I don't want you to have this sign this agent of record letter over to me. And the other agent doesn't know that it's coming because I wouldn't want that to happen to me. And it would be a professional courtesy for you to let them know if you if you write the letter the right way, the way that we recommend that you do that, they're going to understand that this is your final decision and you're not going to you're not going to change your mind going forward. In fact, it would really be a bad move if they were to reach out to you again or push you. After you send that. And I don't think that you need to burn bridges when you do it. I think it's okay to say, hey, look, maybe there'll be an opportunity in the future, but for right now, this is the best move for our agency. That'll tell you how much they respect you. If you get a call right away saying, hey, what do you mean you're leaving me, blah, 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 after you told them your decision's final, they don't respect you. They're just worried about their paycheck. So I would recommend that uh, you have the conversation, whether it be over the phone or email. As quickly as I leave, because I'm going to turn this into the insurance carriers when I get back to my office. And as soon as I do, they will all let them know that you are no longer, they are no longer going to represent you.
0: Okay. I think I can do this.
1: And so typically, what I do at that point is I literally, every time when I go in, this is a little trick that I picked up years ago. um, And I like to do it because. I could walk in with a blank agent, a record letter, but I like to use the technology. It makes me look a little slicker Mm -hmm. than just walking in with a letter. But typically, I will send the sample breakup letter with the bullet points and things to talk about as well as the agent of record letter template to myself on an email prior to going into the appointment so that when we get to that stage at the closing table and they ask me. Or, or I go for the AOR, I can say, look, if you don't mind, I typically don't pull my phone out in meetings, but I did take the liberty of sending myself an email because I was really hoping and anticipating that we would have a great time together this afternoon. I'm going to send you this email. I just need you to print that agent a record letter out on your letterhead, sign it, and I'll take it with me. And so I don't leave the meeting without it. Like, I think that there's a lot of times where agents will go into the closing table and they'll think they have the deal closed and they'll say, and I'll shoot you the AOR as quick as I get back to the office. Why? This is, you're, look, man, you're at the freaking closing table for crying out loud. You've been warming up in the bullpen for three innings and you're going to go later and send the agent a record letter? Get your head out of your rear end. You need to have the letter there at the point of sale. And if you don't have that, Every minute that it takes for you to get back to the office and send an agent a record letter template over to that person is a minute that the person you think you just got fired has to talk them out of doing it. You need them to take the psychological step of signing that letter, hiring you, and firing that person for good before you ever walk out of their office. And I won't leave until I've got it. And yes, by the way, I did get fired up when I was talking about it.
0: I was going to say, loyal readers, if you've ever wanted to hear or see David Cruthers get fired up, ask him about an AOR because it will happen. That was good stuff.
1: Yeah, it just drives me nuts because, look, our job is simple. We have one thing to do, and that's it. Get the order. Coffee's for closers, right? you yeah. got to get the order. It's not done until they sign the letter. And even then – There's still an opportunity for somebody. So this to me is the most important part of the whole thing. If you can't train that person to fire the the competition and hire you on the spot and give you the signed letter that you need in order for that to happen, everything else you've done to this point is a huge waste of time because you have a high likelihood you lost the deal before you ever had it.
0: All right. So loyal readers, never leave the table without the signed. AOR.
1: Listen, I've been in sales meetings before where I'm in there with three or four colleagues and everybody's just talking about this, that, or the other. And we're at the point of the meeting where somebody's got to ask for the business. Mm -hmm. If you want the business, you got to ask for the business, right? (laughs) Nobody's going to come in and say, Hey, David, I'm so glad you came by today. And thank you for sitting in our conference room. We've prepared a check made out to your organization, but 10, 15,000, the right number. We weren't really sure. We just really want to buy from you. We were hoping you would come by today so we could slide this across the table to you. That's not how it works.
0: Oh, that's how it's always worked for me.
1: So, Well, then I need to be reading your, I need to be reading your book.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. That is, lawyers is definitely not the way that has ever worked for me. So, well, that actually, um, of course, ties into the extra two minutes and, uh, or section of the book or this chapter. And one question I have is the AOR. What if your agency isn't appointed with that company? Does that matter?
1: Yeah, this is a question that I get a lot of the time yeah. and it's it's sort of a delicate dance that you have to do. Basically, I prepare a generic AOR. It doesn't have a policy number on there. It doesn't have a company name. If I'm going in and let's just say, for example, that this person is working with a direct writer Mm-hmm. Then I don't ha- obviously don't have the ability to go to that direct writer and take an AOR. I still want them to sign an agent of record letter signifying they're making the official decision to hire me and fire that person. And that's what we do. So I will get the um, just a generic AOR signed. I don't have anybody to send it to because it's absolutely worthless. It doesn't have anything to do with the actual transaction, it has everything to do with them making that forward physical motion to mm-hmm. sign the letter and make it official. And that's why I have them do that. Now, obviously, if it's with carriers that we represent, I'm right. going to have all of that done. But I still do it whether I have the carrier or not. I just make 100% sure no carrier name or policy numbers on there because you get in massive trouble with the Department of Insurance in your state because you're not appointed to do business with those carriers, and you don't want you don't want to do that. But there's nothing that says you can't have a standard letter that's the exact same verbiage. It just doesn't have a carrier name and a policy number on there, and it basically says, "Look, we're we're hiring David R. Carruthers as our exclusive agent, and Florida Risk Partners as our exclusive agency for all of our property casualty needs. Effective blah 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 blah, and and all the other things that go into it.
0: All right, okay, that makes sense. I I assume that was how you would handle it but i figured if i had that question then other people would would as well um and then as a reminder and i apologize i haven't done this uh in the past episodes but at the end of each chapter loyal readers at the end of the extra two minutes section is a website where you can go to download um the document so if you want to download a sample of the termination letter and bullet points uh, just open up the book, go to the last part of each section, and you will see that website there. And with that, we've completed the closing the deal section. And move on to the final section, which is onboarding. And it's the final chapter of the book, chapter 13. And David, are you sure you should have ended with chapter 13, the number 13?
1: Technically, I ended with the acknowledgments and resources. So
0: okay, this is true.
1: But I'm living I'm living on the wild side. Live it on the outside.
0: Uh, yep. All right. So chapter 13, the client experience starts here. You begin this chapter by writing this, and I believe it's something that we all need to strive for regardless of what type of industry or type of client we are dealing with. And this is the quote from the book, customer service is the expectation. If you want to provide a truly exceptional client experience, it starts with the proper onboarding which for the loyal readers they'll remember the first book that i reviewed was called customer services just foreplay if you haven't listened to it please do so when you're done with this book and then this will lead us into david's next book so this chapter consists of essentially six things that florida risk partners does to provide a truly exceptional client experience and i'm very excited for your next book which is called another two minutes to dive even further into these because It doesn't stop once the sale is done. This is just the beginning. So the things that we'll briefly talk about are automation, video, the magic box, meet the team, partner perks and partner points, and then the mobile app. Um, So let's begin with the first one, which is automation. We've discussed this many times before on prior episodes. You use HubSpot. Um, but there are other automation tools out there, such as Better Agency, which is run by our good friends Nicholas Ayers, Preston Schmidley, and Will Shaw. And the key to automation is making sure that your p- emails appear unique and uncanned. And I would imagine that the best thing that you can hear from a client is how much they liked or appreciated one of their emails, the emails that you sent to them, and how they didn't feel that it was just a, you know, automated canned response. Uh, the second one is one that we've touched on, again, many times throughout this book, and that is the use of video. And in that first email that your client will receive is a video of you welcoming them to the Florida Risk Partners family. And you say in there, you've prepared, prepared a very special box to send to them. And if you are looking for uh, assistant soil readers with making videos, please check out Made You Look Marketing. So the third one is the magic box that we just mentioned. And as I mentioned before, um, I'm part of Killing Commercial. I was the recipient of a Killing Commercial box. And I remember how much it meant to me to get that in the mail. And your box is fully colored, branded to your agency. Inside you give, um, for your clients, uh, you get a coffee mug with chocolate-covered espresso beans, a turbless tumbler with gold and blue gummy bears, a t-shirt, the Partner Perks magazine, and a written or handwritten thank you note. So what I want to know, David, is how do you keep yourself from not eating all of those gummy bears and sending them to your clients?
1: They are in a lockable cabinet to which I do not have a key.
0: There you go. That and is- listen,
1: all the good stuff is in there. It's not just the gummy bears. It's the chocolate-covered espresso beans. All of that. We've got a whole, I wish I could like take my webcam and go and walk down the hallway and show you, but we have a big filing cabinet that's got all the goodies in there. Like the gummy bears, the espresso beans, all the t-shirts, hats, all the other things that we, that we give out. So yeah, I stay out of there. Cause I'd be like a Shriner tossing candy at a Christmas parade with, <laughs> with that stuff and lose my budget otherwise.
0: Well, I mean, we could FaceTime later because you know, we both have iPhones. Um, there you go. Yeah. Jason wouldn't be able to partake in that because, you know, he doesn't use an iPhone. So.
1: You know, I got to tell you, too, man, I think it would be remiss if I didn't give a shout out to my man, McBilly. He was left off of the better agency roster. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure, sorry, I'm sure Mc... accidentally. But McBilly, yeah. brother, I've always got your back, man. Always.
0: Gosh, I feel so bad. I met McBilly in uh in tampa last year at ai brain share he is such a good guy i really liked i sat next to him at lunch good guy good
1: guy to, to meet mcbilly is to love mcbilly
0: yes yes i would agree i would agree with that all right so now that i've apologized to mcbilly we'll move on to the fourth one um, which is meeting the team so the client again is receiving these automated emails um And in this video is the client concierge who introduces themselves, explains their role, lets them know that they're going to send out proof of coverage and reminds them about the box that you've sent to them. Um, And there are a couple more emails that will kind of do the same thing going forward for the rest of the team. Uh, the fifth one, and I'm excited for us to talk about it in the next book, which is your partner perks and partner points. And the partner perks is the magazine that outlines everything that you uh, provide to your clients. And I, I just remember sitting in, at AI Brainshare in, uh, in Tampa and you talked about how you gamified things, incentivize things. So I'm very excited for us to talk more about that. In the next book and then the final thing is the mobile app which again you made it part of the partner points incentivized your clients to download it definitely something that we are going to be instituting our agency because we both use the same mobile app um, and I definitely want to have more engagement from from our clients and so with that that brings us to the end of the chapter to the extra two minutes for this section And it talks about how you actually include in your partner perks some of your commercial clients. And if you want to learn more about that, make sure that you download or go to the website at the end of that. And with all that said, loyal readers, we have finished reviewing the extra two minutes. It was a lot of fun. I learned a lot from you, David. So thank you for taking the time to sit down with me to explain this book to you and to answer my questions. Any last words you'd like to leave for the loyal readers?
1: Now, the only thing I would challenge you to do is when you think a job is done, sit there and think, what's the one thing I can do to take this to the next level in two minutes or less? And then do it because that's what your competition isn't
0: doing. Very good. And if the loyal readers want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? Um, remind them again how they can order the book.
1: Yeah, the best, I mean, the easiest way for me to get you in touch with me is to just go to www.killingcommercial.com. You have my calendar link there. You've got a link to the book. You've got a link to our blog, our podcast, information about Killing Commercial sales training. That's the one-stop shop. If you can't find me from there,
0: that's a problem. Yeah. That, That facial expression says it all.
1: And by the way, you know, the extra two minutes does have content on there. It's pretty much for people who are reading the book and downloading the collateral in real time. So keep that in mind. I mean, that is one thing that I did um, that I thought was pretty cool is I actually give you the resources that I talk about. You just have to go to the website and get them.
0: Yep. And I've done that a few times and uh, definitely using them. All right. So as a reminder, if you have any questions, loyal readers, please feel free to email me. My email address is josh at agency intelligence.com. Please consider leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to this episode episode on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and make sure that you're subscribed to this. So you can hear more books in the future. Uh, learn more from Jason with uh Agent agency intelligence and agents influence. And thank you, loyal readers, for downloading another episode of Explain This Book To Me, where I sit down with authors, thought leaders, and visionaries to explain the book to them and have them answer the questions that I have. Remember to be safe, be healthy, and love everyone. This has been Josh Lipstone with Explain This Book To Me.
2: Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it.